Iceland. By now, everybody knows the story of the miracle of Iceland at the Euro 2016 tournament. But how does a country of just 350,000 people make it not only to the Euro tournament, but now to the World Cup? This is the story of Aaron Gunnarsson. Now, by now, you may know a little bit about Iceland, a little bit about Reykjavik. You may know about the Northern Lights and all the people who are going on vacation there. But Aaron Gunnarsson is not from that part of Iceland. He's from the north of Iceland. As he describes it, it's the kind of place where, if you look at a map, it just says there be ice dragons here. This is one of the most unlikely stories of the 2018 World Cup. This is the story of Aaron Gunnarsson. I'm Sean Convoy, the executive editor of the Players' Tribune. We sat down with Aaron at his home in Cardiff a few months ago as he was preparing to take tiny Iceland to the 2018 World Cup in Russia. I remember starting both handball and football when I was young, about four-year-old. I remember uh, my dad taking me to training because he was, he was coach for the handball team. That's sort of the memory of the sport from, from the start. I was an energetic kid, a lot of energy, and I think my parents knew that if I spent the energy somewhere, I would behave at home. And I think that's the main reason why they took me into, into sport, to sort of release all that energy I had in myself. Coming from a, a small town in north of Iceland um, where during the winter is, is quite rough, a lot of snow. It was a quiet place where there was not much to do other than sports, school and work in between. But it, it, was, a, it was a good town to sort of grow up and never any trouble there. And, but winter could be, could be really, really tough. It was either handball or football. Football obviously during the summer, handball during the winter. And it, it sort of made me the player who I am today this sort of tough mentality, never given up player that I've sort of tried to be. The strong memory I've got of the gravel pits next to my team's building, my team's called Thor Aquarii at the Thunder God. And I remember the first team used to train on the grass during the summer, but I remember the gravel pitches next to it who were quite hard. I remember coming back from training one day with scar all over my leg and my mom didn't know what to think when I came home. It was just a, it was just a tackle, but that, that was that was part of life and part of football when I was growing up. Later in life, the facilities were getting better, and the the federation in Iceland put a lot of money into that. We had the indoor artificial grass houses in my hometown, and that was a total difference. I mean, I could play there every day of the year and get chucked out of the building when they were closing because I was just there passing the ball into the wall. I'm a Man United fan, so I did watch a lot of their games. Um, obviously, Roy Keane and Paul Scholes and the midfielders who were coming through and being a big part of the Man United era, and it made me dream. I didn't see many players coming from my club and, and turn out to be professional football players. It did happen, but it was not, it was not many of us. And that was something I put my mindset into to get in. And luckily, when I was 17, I got a chance to move to Holland. It was tough because I moved away from family and friends at such a young age, but it was something I had to do. I had to take the next step. I'd done all the groundwork in Iceland and in Aquarii. To make the next step, I think I had to move abroad to further my career, and I think it was the right step to do. I was lucky to have a strong family who was supportive. 
But uh, I remember the first two months in Holland were, were really tough. Uh, I was in a hotel. And I remember uh, ringing my mom, crying basically during the evening, saying, oh, I don't really want to do this. And then it was always the same thing she said. Imagine what your mates here in, in Akureyri would do for the, for the opportunity you were getting. Um, it sort of made me realise how lucky I was to have that chance of proving myself and be a professional footballer, hopefully in the future. And it made me stronger. I had to grow up. I was 17, but I, I had to be strong to, to move away from, from your family and, and friends. The culture was obviously different in Holland. Football-wise, it was quite of a shock to the system. I remember my first training session there, playing with guys who were the same age as me, and, and I think I got magged about four times during the first training. I didn't feel comfortable, I'll tell you that. But I, 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 knew, I knew I had the, the drive and the mentality that some of the technical players in Holland didn't have. And if I kept at it and kept improving myself, I would go a step further than them. But it was all work. It was two years of, of hard work in Holland to, to get better in uh, football. It was a good school, but it was different culture-wise and, like I said earlier, football. Because I, re- I basically had to learn football all over again. How to, to think about where you're going to touch the ball, the first touch, how, where you're going to place the next pass. I didn't, I didn't learn that when I was young. My mom is a nurse and my dad, he works for a company in Iceland that, that fixes screws on ships did that for 30 years and now he's working in a sport community in my hometown. When I chose between handball and football I said to him I'll play my first international game for Iceland, the first team, before I turned 19 and I did it when I was 18 so that promise came true and he was quite happy about that. The person I look up to the most is my, my coach in the youth team, well in the youth team, he followed me through the whole youth system, he, he basically took me from the youth team all the age group towards the first team. And then when I was leaving to Holland, he actually flew with me and took me there and, and he just sort of like pushed me in the door. His name is Palle, Patl Gislason. He was actually a player as well. Played handball and football, both for the first team. So he was a, he was a sportman. And he sort of shaped me as a player and, and a person because he knew what kind of a player and a person I was on the pitch. Once he knew I was, I was angry, he, he always used to shout my name and just said 10. And then I knew I had to count up to 10 because otherwise I would get sent off. I had that energy, obviously, to, to get wound up and angry. And he was the person that knew when it was coming out. He made me play different positions purely for the fact that I would be able to play that in the future. Uh, I think he knew what he was doing. I think he was actually making me the best player as possible. And I've said that to him before, I'll always be forever grateful for him. And uh, he come actually to the Euros, got him a ticket to, to see the England game. And uh, it was something special for him to witness and be a part of. And he thoroughly enjoyed himself. That was me, obviously, not paying him all back, but it was me sort of giving him a chance to, to come and see myself. I felt, I felt proud, and I, and I bet he is as well, for what, what he's done for, for our club in our hometown. It's hard to describe his personality. I think it's between days he could be a, a happy, happy guy, but the next day he could be, a, could be an angry guy and expected a little bit more. But I don't know if that was him pushing myself or not. Yeah, it's hard to describe him as a person. He was, he was a feisty player and same, same as a coach because he, he was always willing to learn. He came with me once to a trial and I can remember him sitting there with a block writing down the, the session we were, we were doing in Sweden for Örgryde. And he was there marking all the sessions and, 
so he was always willing to learn and I remember I signed the contract he was there with me and then once he left that moment I knew I was in the in the hard world that's the feeling where where he's sort of just there you go you're on your own now son and that that was the um, the part I found hard to to deal with especially the first two months I didn't have him I didn't have the family to get me through the routine the usual stuff I was going through so that's why I probably say he's pushed me through the door I remember the call I got. I knew it was about to happen, but I don't know when it was going to happen. I knew the the national coach were following my progress in the under-21s. And when I got the phone calls telling me that they wanted me to jump onto the first team, the feeling was surreal because I was was so looking forward to it. I was home. A guy who sorts out the flights for the international team um, still works for the national team. He rang me, and it was just a usual chat, really. He just said, oh, you're in the squad, la, la, la. Um, I'm looking at flights. Is anything else easier for you? And I, I just, I was trying to re- live in the moment, enjoying myself, but I was still like, oh, yeah, yeah, trying to be normal, but screaming inside sort of thing. I remember hanging up the phone, ringing my mum and dad and telling them that I was going to be a part of the first team. It was, it was a proud moment. She said, I knew it. I knew it. Because moms are always supportive, aren't they? And they always think they know everything. And uh, it was just joy. I just hear joy in the end of under the phone. It's, it's, they knew how much I was looking forward to it and and how much work I'd put into it. And it was um, yeah, it was a lot of joy. It was a game in Malta. We had a friendly match against Belarus, and I remember myself going to the train station on my uh, on my scooter I had in Holland. A red sort of looked like a motorcycle little thing with the luggage on my on my back to take the train to to go to Amsterdam and played the game come back to the to the train station late night uh, got to the train station I was going to jump on on my scooter and go home and uh, I looked there and it was only the one of the tires and the chain around it because someone had stolen my my scooter when I rang my mom telling her it was, it was stolen. She, she just started laughing as well. So I was high up and then back down low. Um, it, was, it, was a, it was a different <laughs> roller coaster of a feeling coming from, back home from the first international game, coming towards your, uh, your scooter and it was all gone. At least he kept my feet on the ground. <laughs> now it was, it was a good feeling, pulling on that jersey and, and listening to the, to the national anthem and, and knowing that you were close to, to be a big part of the, the first team. If we would have gone to the World Cup at that stage, it would have been a too big of a task for us. We had a young team, and I think we, we were ready as individuals because we believed in ourselves, but we weren't ready as a team. We had that group where we weren't scared of anything. We weren't scared of making mistakes. We were new to it, obviously. We were inexperienced, and that did help us at the beginning. Going through that group stage, we, we did play some phenomenal football and some bad football as well. Had the playoff, did have a strong team out. We played against Croatia at home, nil-nil. We had a man sent off, so we actually looked at it thinking we've, we've got a chance here. And then coming to Croatia, playing the second game, they had a man sent off. Uh, they were one nil up half time. We only needed that one goal. That I think told us that we weren't ready. We weren't ready for the World Cup. I remember sitting in the dressing room after the game, disappointed. I didn't have my best game and neither did anyone else in the team. We were disappointed that night and then we just started building on again. 
we had the amazing staff around us. We had an amazing coach, and a coach came up to me after the game and asked me if, if the lads still wanted him to, to coach the team, last Lager back. And I said, of course. I mean, you've got us this far. We have, we're going to have to go again. And we started working towards the Euros. And that, that shows the character in, in the team being knocked down but ready to stand up again. During that campaign, the Euro campaign, we, we just gradually got better and better. Learned on, into each other and made our uh, home ground a force. We had lost there since 2014, 15. And that has helped us massively with our amazing fans. And it's just been a, it's been a journey that I'm so lucky to be a part of. Last Lagerbeck, great guy. I've got not, not one bad word to say about him. If he wanted something done, it got done. It's just that kind of a person. You listen to him. He brought this experience, um, charisma, and someone for the Federation to listen and say, we need this, we need that. And they actually listened. And everything around the national team started changing. Um, easier options for the flights. All of a sudden, we had a private flight. And I was like, wow, that's never happened before. And it was more money spent, but the result got better. And I, I think his organisation and his sort of charisma took a lot of pressure off us players and he took it all on, on himself, especially the first four years. You see the guy in the press conferences, he doesn't ooze with charisma when he's speaking, but when he walks into the room, everyone's quiet. That's what he brought to, to the Federation. Not people scared of him, but he expected professionalism from people around the Federation and he got it. He's obviously worked together with Hamer. And uh, he was the old, the old school guy, and Hamid was the, the, a new school. So they blended really well together. But last, like I said, last took it finally to a different level, another level. He's brought Sweden to the World Cup. He's brought Nigeria to the World Cup. Just loves football. I mean, someone that I got on really well with. Still speak to him. First time when he started, it was meeting after meeting after meeting. How he wanted us to play, and. It was boring, I'll tell you that. It wasn't the best time of the day just to look at some defensive shape, uh, how we're going to do that corner, how we're going to play out of throwing, all the tactical stuff. But it, as soon as you see something that's working, you do more of it and it works and works and works. So it took a while to, to get used to him, but uh, once you got used to him, you, you just knew what, what he was about. We started so well. Won our first three games. We beat Holland at home 2-0. Playing against top players. like They literally just come back from the World Cup, finishing what, third. And being in our group, they, they were meant to roll over the group. Um, and our third game against them was pivotal, I think, for our momentum, our confidence. And we actually believed that we were going to beat them before the game. Because we just had that momentum with us. Our home ground, it was bloody freezing. The pitch was rock solid. And I, I, think, I think some of them didn't really fancy being there, whilst we were, we were ready for it. And uh, the qualification for the Euros just went smoothly. We had, we had some t difficult games. Kazakhstan away, that was a tough one. Played an artificial indoor hole. Seven-hour flight. Holland away. The moment we, we, we knew we were going to qualify when we beat them 1-0. Crazy atmosphere. A lot of Icelanders came to Amsterdam. And then... The game against Kazakhstan at home, where we needed a draw to go through, and we just managed to get a draw. <laughs> Basically, they played better than us. I think we were quite passive. But I, I think that time we knew we were ready. 
getting there, seeing everything through, seeing the, the harder games like Kazakhstan at home. It's never an easy game. I remember I got sent off against them. It was nil-nil. One of our defenders makes a mistake. I was just going to clear him out. Um, I went in for a, a tackle. Won the ball, but I think my foot was a little bit high. So I got my second yellow. It was from the 88th minute, I think. Walk out. I remember chucking the, the captain armband on the floor and then getting a coat, because it was really cold, obviously, in Iceland. Getting my coat, standing on the steps, just waiting to see what's going to happen. And then I think Kazakhstan just... They didn't really try. They just wanted to play their nice football and we just sat back. And the moment... I didn't really get nervous. I, I knew we had it, but if we didn't have, then I would have, I would have been devastated because it would have been my fault to be sent off and we were man down and responsibilities again for the, for the captain. The, when he blows the whistle, knowing that we get to the Euros, it, just, it was a surreal moment. I, just, I, I remember just running onto the pitch and... And waving that coat that I took off and just running to the boys, my mates. So everyone celebrating and doing obviously the, the Viking clap together with the fans. Still get goosebumps when I see it. It was the first time we've, we've actually done something with the first team anyway. And it just, I think you can't replace the first time you, you feel like you've actually done something. You try and stay in the moment to, to remember it, but it just all goes quick. And then we obviously go into the dressing room and and meet the, the president and all the hierarchy. And then it was just us, the lads. And it just goes absolutely mental. Pictures are obviously captured in the moment. I'll treasure them pictures for, for the rest of my life. And then we all go to the hotel, get changed, and we go on to this square in, in Reykjavik, middle of Reykjavik, and there's tens of thousands of people there waiting for us. It just shows that you've, you've actually done something to make them people proud. I don't think it's no better feeling for a footballer than that. The first game, playing against Portugal, knowing that everyone's going to be watching what Cristiano Ronaldo is going to do during the game, just thinking that a lot of people are going to be watching this game, relying on us to don't go under, don't embarrass Iceland. A lot of things go into your mind. I mean, you don't want to be the guy who does that mistake during the game that costs us three points or one point or whatever. And then I think the, the mind always goes to your family. Like I said earlier, you're not just playing for yourself. You're playing for the people who have supported you, my wife, my kid, who um, added a little bit of extra pressure because um, when he was born, I, I, was, I was actually in Kazakhstan on a national game. So it, it gave me a little bit more pressure on, on if I'm going to do it that way, I'm going to do it properly, you know. Show, show people what you're about and, and drag your team through this pressure moment. I know uh, the the interview with, with Cristiano after the game saying, because we drew and we were celebrating, and he mentioned something about small country mentality. I just thought, hold on a minute. We've, we've never been at this stage before. Uh, you, you've probably done it plenty of times. You've, you've had your success. We've just drawn against a, a, a Portugal team. Of course we're going to be proud of that. We're going to celebrate. We're going to do our thing. And um, if, if that's small country mentality, then I'm fine with it. I do speak a lot on the pitch. But it's, it's not just because I'm a captain. It keeps me focused as well. Because if I'm not speaking, I'm not focused. But the captain is yeah, taking responsibility and setting the tempo and setting the example. If you see a captain not going in for a 50-50 tackle or giving up after they've scored, or that's me setting the example. I can't be keeping my head down low or be angry or 
if they look at me that way, they're going to do the same. We were under a lot of pressure. We, we had drawn both our games, both the Portugal and Hungary game, 1-1 and 1-1. So we needed a point against Austria to go through. In our 91st minute, they, they put a lot of pressure on us. One of the lads, we defend in the corner, heads it away. One of the lads hooks it forward onto a player who's, I don't know what he's doing up there, but he's on his own. Runs all the way from middle of the of the pitch to the 18-yard box. Squares it past to another player who has to slide to get to the ball and goes in on the inside. His name is Theodor Elmer Bjarnason, plays in Turkey. He, just, he literally come on and he changed the game, really. 2-1 victory against Austria, last-minute goal. Our commentator making the news how the feelings he pronounced during that clip, unbelievable. But it described everyone in Iceland. I think I've seen a lot of videos of people just jumping for joy and, and him scoring that goal gave us the opportunity to play against England, who Iceland just wanted to play against. They didn't know what the score would be against England, but the whole country wanted to, just to play against England because the Icelandic people adore the Premier League. They literally show every game on Icelandic telly and all the football fans in Iceland see them play as week in, week out and they've just wanted that one chance of playing England in a final. And that was the moment, hence why everyone was so excited about that game. We just wanted to play against this, this massive football nation, just get that one chance. And then that was the goal that got us to that game against England. After the game, we obviously celebrated a little. I think it was about four, 5,000 people in, in the stadium. The, the bottom tier, it was covered in blue. And we were in the corner and I, I sort of asking everyone to, to quiet down because I wanted to, the players to do with the fans to give them something back because they've spent their hard-earned money to, to come and support us in France. I know they had a good time, but it was so special for us to have that support playing away from home and first time ever in, in, a, in a final. So I, I'm standing just in the corner flag trying to look where he is. and uh, So I found him and, I, and just asked him to, to do the Viking Club together. And he's trying to get everyone quiet, which is not really working at that time. <laughs> and then he just starts doing the, the double drum and no one's really gathering what's happening. And then we players start trying to do it together and then people are realising it. And then it just happens there from, from that moment. And that was the first time we sort of did it with players and fans together. And now we, now we do it after every victory. It was a special, special moment. There's a supporter group called Silver Skating, uh, the Silver Spoon, with a team called Stjarnan, or the Star. They were playing Motherwell. With the Motherwell Viking Club, there's a, there's a song to, to it after the, the Viking Club. And they obviously changed the lyrics. Someone from the support group in, in the Star, he's in the support group with the, with the Iceland national team. And it started from there. And it, it's, oh, it's unbelievable. The first when I heard it playing the game, it was just completely silent. We're playing Holland. Is this winter night, and it was just boom, boom, tff. and it's just, you look around thinking, wow. It was just yeah. I, I'll, I'll always remember that moment. L- literally gives you shivers down the spine, especially when you're playing because you, you you're so focused. But when you hear like, boom, boom, tff, it just it gets you. It's addictive. I think it feels good coming like coming from our supporters. Everyone was happy, everyone was at ease because we had we managed to get our aim 
qualified from our group, getting to the last 16. Um, playing against England, that was a bonus game. But uh, I remember Good uh, Johnson saying before the game, is, that, is everyone just full? Does everyone want any more? Like, are, we, are we still hungry? And that was him telling us that we're not finished yet, boys. We, we can still go on further into this competition. And that sort of made the last thing that, yeah, we can't slack now. We, we have to keep going. But it, it was easy. It was, it was not too much pressure. We didn't put pressure on us too much. We knew the, the pressure was all on them. Their fans, media, players, they, they, I, knew, I know they felt the pressure because they were playing against this little Iceland team that hadn't done anything before and losing against them would be tragic. And uh, it played on their mind, I think. I didn't worry about that game one bit. I knew we had them from the start. I, I think even though they scored early, I didn't worry too much because it was, it was just so much pressure on them. The young players they had in their team, Sterling, I mean, Deli Ali, Eric Dyer, um, yeah, Eric Dyer come off injured, Harry Kane. It was a young team who were just put under too much pressure. And that's what I felt during the game. I felt they played within themselves. They didn't do the, the simple things right. You see a mistake that they don't usually do. And we just kept growing into the game. We had a lot of chances. Scored two early goals. I think we were 2-1 up in 20 minutes. And they just didn't, they didn't worry us at all during the game. It was that time that people actually thought, wow, Iceland is my team now. Because we were the underdogs. And I, what I felt a little bit sad about, well, not really sad, was the, how people were speaking about that game. Literally all the media. It was all about England losing. It was not about Iceland winning. And that was, we deserved more credit than this. Because we made them lose. It was it was all about focusing on how bad they were, and it was like we didn't get get enough credit how well we played because we played really well that game. It took me a while to sort of get down from there. It was obviously sky high. What like we were cloud nine. I think everyone we, we enjoyed ourselves. We we come back home to this amazing reception where we were we actually flew over Reykjavik to the meeting point we were meant to get on stage, and no one was there. We thought, oh. This is going to be embarrassing. And we sort of fly into to Keflavik, our airport, and we just seen the whole way back from Keflavik to Reykjavik just cars parked on the road and people just greeting us just to, just to say thank you. And it took a while to get down from that. Yeah, we were quite full at that moment. But we had a, a good meeting as soon as we meet, met up again, which made us hungry again because then we got told that we haven't, been, we haven't won the competition, we haven't got to the World Cup. We nearly did last time, so what about getting there now? It's in Russia, so why not go for it now? And that was the moment we sort of got back into it, I think. But I was quite... I hadn't been used to playing this finals before, where it's a lot of stress, there's a lot of pressure. I had a lot of injuries, I had to work a lot on that. After the tournament, it was more a relief than anything else, going back home and just switching the phone off and just relax with the family and... And then we had a, had a trip with the boys just to sort of get away from football. The dream is surreal, I think. I couldn't have imagined being from Iceland and getting to the World Cup. It just, if I would have told you that when I was 14 years old or 15 years old, if I would have told someone I was going to get to the World Cup, they would have laughed at me. They would have been, you're never going to do that. And... I've seen in interviews with an Icelandic player, I can't remember who it was, 
he said, well, before we got to the Euros, some of his mate or his coach or whatever it said to him, oh, it's shame you're from Iceland because you're never going to reach the finals. And people actually thought that we were never going to do anything. And it wasn't in the making. It wasn't, it wasn't right to think that we should actually make it. But with football, like I said earlier, when you're organised and when you've got lads who are willing to put the work in and work together, absolutely anything is possible in football. I know it's a lot to do with luck, but you have to create your luck. And that's what we did during this six, seven years we've been together in the first team. The first memory I've got of the World Cup, I can vaguely remember it, is when Ronaldinho scored against England, a free kick past David Seaman, I think it was. That sort of, that sticks out, because I was fond of Brazil, and I liked watching the England, because we always seen the league. Um, and that was, where was it? South Korea, 2002. After the game, he sort of just went out to the next grass, pretending to be Ronaldinho, or... It was just, it was, it was that effect on people. That's what the, the World Cup does. Um, you can see it in, even in other sports when even the majors, like the Masters or the Ryder Cup, are on golfing. I feel myself wanted to go and play golf. It, it, I think it does the same thing for uh, young people when they watch the World Cup, seeing all the big stages, they see the players do that free kick or even Ronaldo having that haircut here. It made people go and do the same thing. So it's the effect of football has on people is that, that, that brings joy to, to myself and to other people. Being the captain, trying to do his best to lead a country into, into a battle is, is sort of my responsibility, how people look at us as a, as a, as a football team. Because you look towards the captain, what he's doing, how he's handling himself in tough situation or defining moments. But I learned a lot during my time. I've obviously played a lot of games. I played 77 cups. That comes with it. It comes with the experience, I think. Icelandic football is tough. And Icelandic football is together. Or togetherness. It sort of describes us as a team, the fans, the whole country. Like people seen in, in France where Iceland were together. And everyone followed. I think everyone, because of the underdog story, and people like to see the underdog win, making that uh, like a little bit of dramatic story that people want to see and talk about. Got some tough guys in there, if I think about it now. Got some tough defenders. Tough mentality as well. <laughs>